0: And now, we take great pleasure in presenting to you the star of our program, Miss Kate Smith.
1: Hello, everybody. It is my happy privilege to introduce a new song, God Bless America. God bless America. God bless America. Dare we sing the song today while harboring any expectations that God, the holy God of the Bible, would bestow upon us his truest blessing? Today, the average American has no real sense of history, or national pride. The younger generation has no respect for the achievements of our forefathers. In our elected leaders' minds, God has no right to interfere in, in the affairs of the state. They evidenced this in 1962 and 1963 by ruling God out of the public square. God bless America. These arrogant, highly educated, intelligent people have willfully rejected God and stand filled with a conceit that God will not tolerate. Sorry, boys. God's blessing ain't coming. His hand has been removed and his eyes have turned away. But what has happened to biblical Christianity in the United States of America? This is my question, and this will be a topic that we will consider in this podcast, Controlling the Narrative, Faith of Our Fathers. My name is Frank Goss, and I want to thank you for following along with us in our Controlling the Narrative podcast. We hope the information we provide is beneficial to you, and again, thank you very much for listening.
0: Recently, with several dying on the trip over, but their faith helped them to thrive where many other colonies had failed. Plymouth's leaders did permit a significant measure of liberty of conscience. No one had to join the established church or have their children baptized by its ministers. At first, there weren't any church taxes, and much of the time, attempts to enforce worship attendance did not amount to much. What two religious groups are mentioned in Plymouth? Well, you have the Pilgrims, or the Separatists, and then you have the Puritans. The Puritans actually had a Separatist attitude, but they did not wish to separate completely from the Church of England, so they were still bound to the Anglican Church with hopes that somehow they would be able to reform the inner workings of the Church. The settlers at Jamestown were members of the Anglican faith right off the bat, the official Church of England. The Pilgrims, well, they were dissenters from the Church of England, and they established a congreg- what's called a congregational church. And as I was mentioned earlier, mentioning earlier, we often confuse the Puritans with the Pilgrims. They were two separate groups. Uh, both were definitely Protestant, and they both followed very closely the teachings of John Calvin. The Pilgrims were a group of English separatists who sought religious freedom and complete separation from the Church of England, the Puritans. I know this sounds redundant. Uh, The Puritans were a group of English Protestants who aimed to purify the Church of England from within. They were most definitely not enemies, and they ultimately ended up worshipping together under one roof. Now, the Puritans came 10 years after the Separatists. The Pilgrims were here for 10 years prior to the arrival of the Puritans. The Puritans came in under the Massachusetts Bay Colony group. Virginia was not settled by Europeans seeking to create a haven for religious liberty. We need to be very understanding of that as we look at the two approaches to society in each colony. The long history of European colonization in North America reveals that initially, the desire for profit was the primary incentive for crossing the Atlantic. That's why England came to the New World. No, Virginia, nonetheless, was settled by members of the Church of England, or the Anglicans, and the Protestants. We will see later that Catholics simply were not allowed any privileges in these English settlements. The Catholic Church was viewed as a fraudulent faith. It was labeled the Great Horror because it had prostituted itself by taking money from believers, buying salvation, leaning on tradition, and basing hope of salvation on a works base. Uh, theology. King James was himself a Scottish Presbyterian. One of the first actions by the initial English settlers in Jamestown when they arrived was to build a wooden cross at Cape Henry in the Virginia Colony. When Jamestown was founded in 1607, the Church of England was established in the colony as the official church, with King James being established as the defender of the faith. Catholics would not be allowed to worship openly in Virginia until 1781, when French troops involved in the Siege of Yorktown celebrated Mass in Alexandria, Virginia. In the late 17th century, there was a shift in global affairs. The world was changing. There was no way the people of that day could say that this was the day everything changed. They didn't realize that the era and the times were changing. The people living in the Middle Ages may have experienced the dismal days of spiritual darkness and intellectual oppression, but that was just the way of life for them. They did not refer to their time as the medieval period. No man would say, hey, I, I want to learn reading and writing, but I can't. Well, why not? Well, we're in the medieval times, you know, so we have these, lim- these limitations. Oh, man, that's right. These are the medieval times. What was I thinking? That is not the way it worked. After Martin Luther came in and posted his 95 theses, times began to change. There was also a movement known as the Renaissance that was taking place in Italy in the Roman Empire area. Many, many new ideas were being presented. Knowledge was growing and people were thriving. Some say that Luther was a result of the Renaissance. It was there, that there was a glimmer of hope that began to spread throughout Europe. It was like cold water to a weary soul. It gave health to the bones and hope to the heart. Beautiful feet began to bring good news to people, and people began to respond. Martin Luther began to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Through the gospel, freedom was declared for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. This had a great, great impact. On the Catholic Church. Looking back, you and I can see that there was a dramatic global shift, and continually recognize that due to the intentional ignorance that was placed on the backs of the people by the Roman Catholics, those were dark and evil days. For the people of that day, the change was easing in through the back door. It was led by an obscure German monk. It came in almost unnoticed, and as it quietly sat at the table in the corner, it bowed its time. Eventually, it was recognized, and in due time, it was embraced, exalted, and admired. Events coalesced, and the printing press expedited the spread of change. People began to receive news. Their minds were challenged, and their hearts were encouraged. Knowledge was available for the average man. Now, men were learning to read, leading to understanding what they had been taught. The change of Catholicism began to fall off. With truth breaking into the minds of those who had been trapped in ignorance for so many years, freedom was finally being felt. There were no chains stronger than the chains of ignorance and fear, and there were so many people who did not know what all they did not know. The Reformation of the 1500s led to a shift that changed the entire world. Beginning in Wittenberg, Germany, it moved through France and into England. It was not long before England felt the ground shaking. Institutions that had been established for centuries began to quake. Quietly, the separatists sailed to the new world. No announcements were made throughout England. The financial world also was swiftly expanding, moving into the Americas with Virginia's efforts in Jamestown. The Pilgrims arrived in Plymouth. The Massachusetts Bay Colony, flushed with money, grew exponentially. These were the days of a true change in thought, a true change in religion and politics and power. The Renaissance in Florence had created a new desire for knowledge, which led to uh, men asking questions and attempting greater things. With this attitude flowing through Europe, you see how Martin Luther could arrive. You see how John Calvin and Jan Husk and Zwingli and Wycliffe and Tyndale and a host of others begin to think and to produce And to put those thoughts into action, these men fueled the Reformation. Inspired by the teachings of these men, the separatists and the Puritans eventually led to a more enlightened error. Historians tag each period with a title that allows us to understand the difference in trends and epochs over the days. The Reformation brought a a global shift in understanding to the people. For so long. Men in funny ornate hats and robes, and men who had hidden the truth and knowledge from the people. They'd even chained the Bible to the lecterns in huge, musty cathedrals, twisting the Word of God to their knowledge, to their tradition. This enslaved the people intellectually and psychologically. Held captive by their lack of knowledge, they were held captive by the lies. While being allowed to learn, most men couldn't read. Notably, 90% of the men at that time, were illiterate, meaning that a few men actually control knowledge and understanding. When these kind of men hold the narrative, wicked things ensue. And we should fully understand this. If you control the narrative, you can control the people. In medieval times, education was under the control of the church. And while the church will tell you they did a wonderful job and were reaching out to touch all the people, society did not reflect the truth of this statement. The church and the state were indistinguishable. Ignorance abounded. Unawares, the people sat in a fearful ignorance, suffering a spiritual sickness imposed upon them by the Pope, the Cardinals, Bishops, and Priests. The Romanist organization brought excessive power and wealth to a select few, all in the name of God. The Roman Empire still ruled, but not by the sword. The issue was not about truth, but about power, and Rome still had its grip. The people were oppressed beyond measure, suffering through excessive fear of the fires of hell and the judgment of God, suffering under the hand of the church. There was no hope provided through this Roman institution. Instead, you had intellectual, emotional, and psychological control that was bred into the minds of the people. False teachings, misrepresentations, they were all put forth by the Catholic Church. There were indeed dark days, dark days of bondage and hopelessness. The people knew nothing better, though. No other way. Caesar was now called the Pope. And nobody dared to doubt, to challenge the power of Caesar. Then Luther appeared, a brave man, a strong voice, preaching the gospel and combating the lies with the truth of God's word. He was well-read, he was fearless in his devotion to Christ, and he could understand and explain the word of God in the language of the people. This set in motion what we now call The Reformation. The aim was to see reform come to the Catholic Church. While this has yet to occur, even in year 2023, it did bring a light into the world that had been obscured for centuries. This light was embraced by those who understood the message. It was explained in depth by a man named John Calvin in his work that we call Calvin's Institutes. Arguments ensued, calling Calvin a heretic and condemning his teachings. As Calvin points out, the Bible reveals that salvation does not come through the church or man's best efforts and good works, but through God alone. We can safely say this salvation is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. The desire and the ability to call upon the Lord is given to a man by God himself. It's not something a man can work up within himself. It's a truth revealed to the individual by the Holy Spirit, Through the Word of God. Salvation is of God. The Reformation teaching exalted God as the supreme power of all the universe, and He's the only sovereign, and man owes his allegiance to God alone. Well, kings and potentates did not like this, and it infuriated the Catholics because it was destroying their power structure, their means of income. It eliminated all the long established ideas of praying to the saints. Contributing to the church, the power of the priest or the pope's authority, it exposed a world of lies. It excited even the King of England as well. Both King Charles and King James, they did not like this. It placed the average man before God, not the king. If this notion was to reach the people, it would destroy the power base that had been established throughout the world. The Church of England would be weakened The king's power would be threatened. The pope, it just caused too much trouble. So, austere methods had to be used in order to prevent these heretics from teaching their seditious and treasonous ideas. We know about the burning of Latimer and Ridley, and it was Latimer who told Ridley as he cried out, be strong, be strong, today we light a fire in England that will never go out. But hundreds of others burned at the stake as well. They were imprisoned. They were banished. Preachers, clergymen, teachers, monks, lawyers, the average men, they were killed if they professed faith in Christ outside of the established church. Many fled for safety. Some went to Holland, some directly to the New World. Then came the English Reformation under Oliver Cromwell. Many died as well. The boats continued to cross the Atlantic. America grew exponentially. The Protestants who arrived were adamant in their faith, sincere in their commitment, and willing to do what it took in order to survive and find a new way of life. Colonies were established, homes were built, as were schools, churches, and businesses. Charters were granted, and trade was established. The new world began to prosper, and the people found themselves in this new land flourishing. The pilgrims and the Puritans held the minds and the hearts of the people. Spiritually, the Bible was the foundation upon which the colonies rested. The leaders desired to please God and to serve Him. Not all agreed, or not all followed either. But for the most part, Christianity held the colonies together. Christianity built the new world. Gary Wills mentions one aspect that we need to consider in his book, Head and Heart, A History of Christianity in America. The American Idea of Individualism This was a superlative aspect, built into the theology and the politics of the burgeoning colonies. Each individual was responsible before God for his sins. It was to God that the individual had to repair if forgiveness was to be experienced, and God's grace and goodness drew the individual to this repentance. Repentance and faith are inextricably linked as the individual comes to Christ. With these things being done, it would be evident that the individual walked with God in an individual manner. He would love the things of God and the people of God. It was not a forced issue, but a natural response to the work of God within the heart of a man. Christians were brought into the family of God, which was known as the church. You participated in the community and contributed your tithe, times, prayer, efforts, and to see God lifted up and glorified collectively while maintaining a personal relationship with the Lord. In Toccoa, Georgia, in the United States, there stands a mountain that is called Kurahi. The word, in the Indian language, means stands alone. This name held a deep meaning to the paratroopers who were trained there before entering into World War II. They understood that each man was taught, mentally prepared, committed, disciplined, and knowledgeable of his personal responsibilities. He stood alone in these disciplines as an independent soldier. Yet he was committed to his fellow soldier as well for his well-being. The motto of these men was we stand alone together. Together these men crossed Europe during the Second World War and their ventures have been noted in a documentary called The Band of Brothers written in book form by Stephen Ambrose, a renowned historian. In England, under the monarchy, the individual was subject to the king. He was not free. He was subject to the whims and the wishes of the king. The subject was legally bound by English common law to the wishes of this guy. If the king said, off with his head, the man's head would be separated from his body. No court was needed or required. The court was subject to the king. The king was the defender of all that was right, the upholder and defender of faith. And you dare not question the king. The rights of the king were the rights of a sovereign, extending as far as to what was called the droit du Seigneur, or the Prima Nocta. This was an event which gave the king legal right, if he so desired, to have sexual relations with any female subject, particularly on their wedding night. In his epic movie, Braveheart, Mel Gibson brought this to our attention. And it indeed was a true right of the king. This was a spiritual and political bondage to the people. And the separatists and the Puritans, they looked to escape. The separatists believed that the internal reform within the Church of England was unattainable. The Puritans remained tied to the Church of England and hoped to see reformation. Two views, one faith. In the New World, they literally sat together as a congregation and worshipped the Lord under one roof. Freedom is not simply the lack of shackles and the absence of bars. It refers to every aspect of the man. A man, in the theological understanding of the Puritan, was called individually by God into a personal relationship. It was not a call authorized by the church or mandated by the king. Salvation was a personal relationship. I know I may be repeating this, but this is very, very crucial to understand America today. Being a personal relationship between the individual and God, and achieved through God's tremendous sacrifice of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and not man's religious efforts, once man was restored to a right relationship with God, he joined the collective. This collective was called the church. This was more than an association of individuals. It was the intertwining of a family line, all related in and through Christ. It arose above political ties. It was the transcendent nature of Christianity. Individualism, however, was a hallmark in the American colonies and characterized by the spiritual understanding that formed the culture. A man had his farm, personal property, his wife and children. He worshipped as he chose, he fellowshiped with whom he wished, and he traveled at his leisure. The government did not impose restraints outside what was agreed upon by the people. The people made the rules, not the king and not the pope. One of the glaring problems with individualism was and is that if it's not disciplined, the individual will migrate into the isolation of a closed society, which means basically he's going to think of himself, me, myself, and mine. He withdraws from the community. He's not contributing to the community. He's not cooperating or committing himself. Conversely, he may become greedy and self-seeking and pathological in his pursuits. Everybody else best get out of the way. This happened, as we'll see later on, with the robber barons. Individualism puts a quash on the progressive Marxist ideology of our day, and that's why they want to bring everybody under the control of a socialist-run government. The world seeks to eliminate the individual and exalt the state, and in doing so, it aims to force the collective The team approach to society has been gaining steam for decades. It controls our public education system and much of corporate America today. But this approach has never worked in common application. Not in England, not in France, Russia, or China, or anywhere else. Look at what our school systems are producing today. God changes the individual in Christianity through the work of Jesus Christ. In Christ, he creates a new man. And that new man discovers true freedom from the bondage that has kept him bound for so long and he finds a family and fellowship within the church. The idea of individualism leads itself to men saying, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I'm the captain of my own ship. I have to pull myself up by my my bootstraps. So I'm going to be a self-made man. In understanding scripture, you'll quickly understand that this is individualism gone astray. When a self-made man chooses his own maker, he always makes an unwise choice. But still, I would agree that the pride of individualism with Christ at the helm is far better than being smothered under the oppressive rule of the state. It was Patrick Henry who said, as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Individual freedom brings with it a love for enterprise and personal independence and creativity. We in America deem our government, our way of life, to be the choicest possession and the exclusive possession of this nation. No other nation on earth has what we have been able to enjoy. There was, however, a fly or two in the soup, and there were two in particular that we're going to recognize and consider. One man was named Samuel Sewell, and the other man was named Roger Williams. Now, these two may seem, in reading of history, to be good and godly men, and perhaps they were. However, their teachings and their direction and desires helped bring about a great change in the way America operates, and we're going to consider them in our next podcast. I thank you for listening.